What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to The Quick Cage. And Frank, which Nick Cage movie are you going to tell us about this week? Uh, so tonight we're going to talk about the 1994 romantic comedy, It Could Happen to You. Huh. Um, <clears throat> directed by Andrew Bergman. Uh, stars Mr. Cage alongside Bridget Fonda, Rosie Perez, uh, Wendell Pierce, Isaac Hayes, Stanley Tucci, Seymour Cassell. Um, also, some minor uh, like support roles from character actors like Richard Jenkins and uh, Vincent Pastore. Um, big pussy to Sopranos fans. <clears throat> As the member of a bowling team that wins part of the lottery. Um, That's a load of cast for this movie. Yeah, it really is. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these people are kind of in their like nascent stages of being like known actors. Um, super surprising to see uh, Bunk from The Wire, um, who plays Nicolas Cage's partner. Um, so the premise is that Cage um, plays Charlie, who is a uh, beat cop for the NYPD um, that works and lives in Queens. Um, him and his partner, Bo, uh, who's the Wendell Pierce character, um, have a really good relationship with the neighborhood. Um Charlie's really well-liked and, you know, really friendly and helpful and dedicated to, like, helping out the kids in the neighborhood and, you know, keeping the, the neighborhood safe. Um, Cage is married to Muriel, who's played by Rosie Perez, uh, who's a hairdresser and who hates living in Queens and living on a policeman's salary and basically is, like, the most disagreeable harridan, like, ever. Like, I don't know, nothing about her is makes you think that there's any, like, way that those two would be married. Give me an example of how, like, something she does that makes her so So, terrible. first of all, it's early 90s Rosie Perez, so it's the really thick, um, almost, like, parody, uh, like, Puerto Rican, New York accent. So yeah, like white white like, men white men can't jump like Rosie Perez. But, yeah, or you know, do the right thing, Rosie Perez, but like mm-hmm. work because like no redeeming values. So and I told him I am not gonna live on this salary anymore. If he wants to keep me, he's gonna have to have some more ambition. Like at least if he was a detective, he would wear some good clothes. But all he wears is them police officers. Oh, so she's like girl. so she's like shaming him because he doesn't make enough money and shit. Yes. Mm. Yeah, she's awful. Mm. Um so one day, uh, Charlie and Bo stop into a small diner um, to get coffee, like while on their beat. Uh, they're waited on by the Bridget Fonda character, um, Yvonne, um, who earlier in the day was declared bankrupt by a judge in a scenario that like would never actually happen, where the judge just declared her bankrupt. Um, mm-hmm. She is a down on her luck she came to new york to be an actress 
um, because she had an audition in our town once where people were impressed with her performance. Um, she married another actor played by Stanley Tucci, uh, Eddie, who basically has cheated on her and drained their bank account and maxed out their MasterCard and then like left town. So she's despondent, down her luck. She doesn't have any money. She works for a shitty boss in this little cafe. Um, so they get two coffees and the total comes to like a dollar or something. And Nicolas Cage only has exact change. So he can't leave a tip. And he tells her, listen, um, oh, Muriel the night before told him I, she had a dream where her dead father told her to play the lottery today and that she would win the lottery if she played it. So she forces uh, Charlie to buy a lottery ticket, which he does, um, playing her birthday and their anniversary. Um, although he gets their anniversary wrong because he goes by the day. I can't remember how exactly it goes, but it's like their anniversary is really the 27th. And he uses the 26th because that was like the first time that they started going out and they got married on the 27th. And she berates him for that, too. Um, Real quick. So does, have- does the dead father dream thing ever matter or come back? Yes. Oh. I'll get to that. That's okay. like a hundred. That, that, that's a hundred years from now. Um. So when he can't afford to pay the tip, he tells Bridget Fonda, "Look, I'm definitely going to pay you a tip because you have really good service and you're really nice." He said, "So whatever, ha- I'll either give you double what the tip would have been, or if I win the lottery on this ticket, I'll give you half of whatever the winnings are." So she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll never see you again." And he's like, "No, I'm telling you, like it'll happen." So he goes home that night, and of course, they win the lottery. <coughs> so it's a $64 million jackpot, but so many people won that they only get $4 million out of it. Um, so after Muriel's all excited and like talking about all the things they can do and how they don't have to be poor anymore, uh, Charlie says, listen, like I just need to tell you that I made this deal with this waitress. I owe her half of this lottery ticket. And so she berates him again, like, why are you so stupid? She would never know that you won, you know, and he says, what's well, the honest thing to do? Because I made a promise, so I'm going to do it. Um, so he goes back the next day, and one of the things that he noticed about Yvonne was that um, she always kept her glasses in, like, her um, apron pocket, but she could never find them. Like, she was always looking on top of her head. So he brings her um, just, like a, like, a glasses chain or whatever, like, one of those little, like, things you put on the end of the stems of the glasses whatever yeah, mm-hmm. your fucking ears so that it'll hang around your neck all the time so she's really charmed and oh it's the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me and he says okay so now for your tip he said you can either choose door number one which is double the tip from yesterday or door number two which is half of my lottery winnings and she said well did you win the lottery and he said i did and she said i don't believe you she said well i'll take that one because she's all happy about the necklace or the um glasses chain thing Mm-hmm. So this is okay. Well, you won $2 million. So he gives her half the winnings. Um, he basically convinces Muriel that she can be known as the woman with a heart of gold because they gave up like half their winnings to this woman, the stranger. And she can parlay that into like some kind of like endorsement contract. And her greedy ass is like, oh, you think I could do that? I could be the face of something. I don't know, whatever. So Nicholas Cage and Bridget Fonda realize that they have a lot in common. Um, and Muriel just goes crazy. Like she goes on the spending spree. 
she spends all this money to renovate their tiny little queen's apartment um, so they can sell it and move to New Jersey, which Charlie doesn't want to do because he loves living in Queens. Um, so he meets up with Bridge of Fonda one day. Oh, I'm sorry. So they have this thing where all the winners of um, the uh, the winners of the um, the lottery are all invited to go on this cruise with other socialites from New York. So that's where Muriel meets the, um, uh, what is his name? Uh, Seymour Cassell character. Um, who's this Jack gross. Yeah. Yeah. He's this, you know, older refined gentleman that like knows a lot about finances and is talking to her about like investing and making the most of her money and basically kind of like, like shames Charlie. So she makes Charlie go get her coat, which was off the boat for some reason. So Charlie gets off the boat. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So Charlie goes to like the fore of the boat to get her coat because that's where it is. And he sees Yvonne pulling up in a taxi cab. So he runs off the boat to say hi to her. And as he does that, the boat pulls away. So it strands them on the dock. So Muriel doesn't even realize he's gone. She spends the whole night like dancing and flirting with uh, Gross um, while Charlie and um, Yvonne like form this bond um, just by spending time together and having dinner and talking and realizing they have a lot in common. Um, so Charlie's like, well, you, oh, okay. So I missed this part. So right after Charlie wins the lottery, um, him and Bo come upon a robbery at a local convenience store. And Charlie ends up foiling the robbery, but gets shot in the process. So he's on um, administrative leave for the time until he can, like, recover. Okay, so that's so he can um, go do all this other shit, right? Yeah, so he has nothing to do. Like, it's basically, right, right. you know, he's, oh, well, I don't have anything to do. The fact that you like, forgot that the main character got shot shows how much of a just convenient plot point that is. So... And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that generally, but the whole movie is nothing but convenient plot points to put Yvonne and Charlie together. Right. Basically what happens is they start spending all this time together and then he's spending all of the money that he's spending his money on like charity things. Like they go to the um, subway one day and they pay everybody's tokens um, and then they go to um, they take all the kids from the neighborhood in Queens. They take them to Yankee Stadium and they pay to have the kids be able to go out on the field and, you know, like play like a game of baseball. Basically, it's just like whatever, like nice things that he does. Um, but there's the press is following him all over the place because they become famous for being like, he's this hero cop who's such a nice guy and like everyone in New York loves him. And that probably so pisses, Mur- that pisses Muriel off, right? It does. It does. Mm-hmm. Because she sees it as, number one, he's wasting her money. Mm-hmm. And then number two, he's spending all this time with this woman. So she's like, are you having an affair? And he's like, no, I'm not having an affair. And she's like, you know, well, I don't believe you. So she basically says that she wants a divorce. So she kicks him out. Then she contracts a sleazy lawyer. And that's played by um, uh, Jay Freeman, the guy from uh, um, Six Feet Under, the dead dad in Six Feet Under. If you remember that. Yeah, no, that's Richard Jenkins that plays that. Oh, is that? Okay. 
Yeah. Right. See Vernon Hale. Jay Freeman is um uh he Jay Freeman Hale. is uh the 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 oh, the Dane. Yeah. The Dane and um yeah, Miller's Crossing. Yeah. Anyway, so Nick Cage goes to the Plaza Hotel on the night that he gets kicked out because the kids in his neighborhood are like, look, you've got all this money. If she's going to kick you out and be a bitch, you may as well like sleep somewhere really nice. That same night, Bridget Fonda's husband comes back, Eddie, Stanley Tucci character, and basically tells her that he's going to extort her for $50,000 to start his own acting troupe or else he won't leave because she can't kick him out because they're married. Um, which again, I think is like really bad logic, right? Uh, because she leases a place on her own, so um, so she goes to the plaza too. So they end up being in the plaza the same night. Oh, um, that, that that's also convenient, right? And they actually are checking in at exactly the same time, um, Even super convenient. <laughs> so their uh, their bellhops carry him upstairs, and everybody's like, Oh my god, it's the cop and the waitress, they're here together. So they ask people, like, well, don't tell anybody that we're here because we want it to be private. So they end up sleeping together that night. And as they're leaving the next morning, there's, of course, like a throng of reporters outside. So then Rosie Perez sues him for all the money and sues for all the waitresses' money, too, which she wins through, like, the most ridiculous logic. Like, basically because her dead father came to her in a dream and told her to play the lottery is how they frame it. And that's like why she is given like all the money. So not only Nicholas Cage's money, but also the money of the waitress. So then Bridget Fonda is all despondent because she thinks she's ruined Charlie's life. But Charlie's all despondent because he doesn't care about the money. The only thing he cares about is her because they're in love. Um, So through a series of circumstances or whatever. Oh, and at the same time, so Charlie's looking all over for her, but she's not a, her apartment so as he's wandering the streets one night he notices that her she used her money to buy the cafe that she worked at and she had set up a table in the cafe called charlie's table where if you didn't have enough money to pay for a meal you could sit there and she would serve you for free so oh she's still serving them yeah yeah she's still the waitress there but she just owns it but then she loses it because even though she had two million dollars i guess she couldn't afford I don't know. I don't understand. I, I, I really didn't understand that part, like why she bought the place, but then she didn't buy the place anymore. So anyway, so they end up like reconciling and making out. And then Isaac Hayes, who has been the narrator of the movie this entire time. Huh? Um, I forgot to mention that, but it's really kind of inconsequential up to this point. Um, he plays this homeless guy and he comes up. And he's like, it's raining. And he's like, hey, can I come in? And they're like, oh, of course you can come in. And she makes him soup. And Nicolas Cage gives him like the last few dollars out of his pocket <laughs> to try and help him out. He's like, you know, I know it's not enough, but I hope that like you can get something out of this. So it turns out that Isaac Hayes is secretly a photographer for the New York Post and reports to everyone in the world that um oh hold on he's he's posing as like a homeless dude yeah 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 that's his that's his gimmick he poses like a homeless guy so he can get like candid pictures of people around new york because no one pays attention to a homeless dude okay um 
So he gets these pictures of them like making out and then because the trial is like this big, like highly publicized thing because they're all famous. So he writes an article for the posts basically saying that, look, like when they were down to their last dollars, like they took pity on me and they took me in and they gave me food and he gave me the last dollars out of his pay out of his pocket. So you guys should leave the waitress a tip by sending money to um, this address, which is her um, uh, whatever fucking uh, diner. So they go back to her apartment and they decide that they're going to move away to like Buffalo or something because Nicolas Cage has relatives out there and he says, you know, I can join the force and we can be together and be away from the city where like nobody knows us as well and you know, just like live together. And that's all that they want is to spend time together. So they're going back to the diner one last time so she can clean out her stuff. And there's like thousands of envelopes on the floor that are all filled with tips from people around New York City that sent them in because they all love Charlie and the waitress. And it turns out to be like $600,000. Um, so they don't have to leave Queens and um, she can run the diner again and he goes back to being a cop and um it turns out that eddie you know her ex-husband they, they they both get divorced her ex-husband is so talentless all he can do is drive a cab and then um muriel um after she got divorced she got married to a uh, gross who was a swindler that drained their bank account and fled to europe so now she's back in brooklyn living with her mom and working at a nail salon i knew the name was foreshadowing yeah that's it um i have so many fucking questions and i can't even remember half of them now um it's it's based on a true story right um in 84 uh there was a cop um from yonkers who used to frequent there was this diner where like all the cops went and it actually happened one night where his waitress who was somebody that he was friends with like he knew her really well it wasn't a stranger he didn't have enough money for a tip so he had a lottery ticket and he was like well you pick half the numbers and i'll pick half the numbers and if i win we'll split it and then they won and so they ended up splitting like six million dollars or something like that but they were both married and like it was not like a madcap romantic comedy it was literally just like a really like nice thing that happened to two people but you know nothing at all like this um it's like okay i i need to know something here how is cage acting throughout Uh, i i saw this movie in like 94 95 but i don't remember this movie at all like really um it's a very slight movie there's not much to remember yeah, but how is he acting through this? Like, what's his Normal, what's his fine. acting approach? It's very um, laid back. It, it's a lot like, I mean, the character's not at all the same, but it's similar. Well, that's not even a good example. Um, uh, just really like normal. Yeah. Like, there's no weird accent. There's no histrionics. There's no. Is it is it the most normal cage performance? Maybe it's definitely the most like human. Hmm. I mean, Charlie's kind of an idiot, so there's that going on. But aside from that, like it's just you know it's it's just really bland. It's just fine. 
Well, by idiot, I do guess... you mean like just like in the sense of like, how do you mean that? I don't. He's not an idiot. He's a... that's why I'm that's why I'm asking because it feels like an interpretive comment. Like, what 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 do you mean by that? He, exactly? He's just, he's just a very kind soul. He's very trusting. <laughs> right. He's very, you know, like friendly and loving for other to other people. Right. Well, it's like the but, idea. Right. The theme here is right. Is like you know, if you want and want like um Muriel and Gross and like all those people and invest and the, the, those are the bad people. That's the bad life. The, right, the, right, the right. simple life is is what's good. Right. Yeah. That a life of love and affection with someone that you truly care about is right. You know, and like fine, that's true, I guess. But he also like never protects himself. Right. And even though he doesn't care about the money because all he cares about is um, Yvonne, which is fine. I mean, that's like their their relationship, like their affection for each other is the most believable part of the movie because um, you know, Bridget Fonda and Nicolas Cage are both like like talented enough actors that they can sell it. So it's so I do have, I do have a question about that relationship. Is like it, it kind of just happened. It seemed when you were when you were describing it to me, like so they check into the hotel at the same time. You have that like super convenient aspect of everything, but then they just like it's like blah blah blah. They end up sleeping together. Like how the well, fuck does that? Happen? No, so they start because neither of them have anything to do, and Muriel doesn't want Charlie around the house. They start just hanging out together. Like they do things like. They go to the zoo and they go rollerblading and they're just they're friends like they're hanging out. As right. Friends. But it, but it's a, understood. Like, so there's a building relationship. I get that. I'm saying that night at the hotel where they're both checking in independently, not expecting to run into each other. Like, how does that progress to them sleeping together that night? Well, because they've fallen in love. Right. Up to that point. And he's getting divorced because Muriel's kicked him out and she's getting divorced because now she finally has the money to divorce Eddie. Right. So, because they haven't been sued at this point. This is before Muriel yeah. sued them for everything. So, <clears throat> what I'm saying is, like, is there a conversation where it's like, you know, like, hey, I'm getting divorced, you're getting divorced, let's fuck? I mean, I mean it's not quite that crass, but sure, it's, it's like similar, I guess. Okay, all right. That's, that's I mean, what I'm saying. So, there's a conversation that leads to them sleeping together, or like, so initially they're both really coy about it because they both go to their separate rooms, but then, you know, they come out and they see each other and oh, they talk to scene. each other and then mm-hmm. they end up, you know, right. like back in one of their rooms. Oh, because she's like, oh, my room's amazing. He's like, well, come see my room. She's like, oh, your room's just like mine, but a different color. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, is anything in the movie believable? No, but it's believable enough within, you know, what you've been asked to believe so far in the confines of the movie okay another question why do you think it's the new york post i don't know would you rather be like the daily news or something well i mean new york post isn't right i mean i new york post is not a respectable publication right i think that's the thing is because the post is the kind of paper that would put hero cop wins lottery tryst with waitress on his no, right page. but like i don't think the, this <clears throat> basically what i'm saying is like this like the idea that like uh secret homeless reporter um like publishes a story to like leave tips for this person um would be the best thing the new york post has ever done since murdoch brought it so 
it almost yeah. feels like even though it's kind of like slighting them in some ways is also is like putting them in a positive light by the end it seems um I don't know, maybe somebody from TriStar owned, like, part of it or something. From what? That's right. that's, I was just wondering. Yeah, maybe. I'd have um, to do some deep research on that. Uh, it's not the... I know it's not the, the director or anything like that, so it would have to be, like, on a producer level, probably, right? Well, they were owned by Sony. During this time in like the early nineties, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was just the paper that would let them use their like their typeface and could be right. I mean, you know, maybe they yeah. got paid royalties from it or something, right? Yeah, that's 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 the that's thing I don't think about often in movies, but there's a hell of a lot more that goes into that it happens more than i think about about product placement and stuff like that so i mean how salacious was the post in like 1994 i know that like in my later life i've known that the post is kind of i don't want to say like yellow journalism but they definitely run more towards like the sensational right or Um, at least like the more like base and vulgar stories but i mean i never haven't lived in new york i don't have any idea like just beyond stuff that like you see in movies or read about. Yeah, I mean, I know I I'd have to like really look at the the years again. I know at some point in the eighties they toned down a little bit of like the salaciousness, I guess. But um, yeah. but um, I don't know how long that lasted. Um, but for most it's of my crazy that this is the thing that you're hung up on in this movie. <laughs> um, I mean, look, listen. I, I get here. Here's the here's the thing is like somehow something happened like two years ago where in my feed some New York Post articles get in sometimes. Um, so it's this very personalized thing where I'm kind of like irritated by that, um, okay. knowing, knowing what I know by the Post. So the idea that the Post is so featured in this movie as like the paper. Um, yeah, aside from Isaac Hayes' narration, the post is also used to um, kind of advance the scene in a way. Like, so they'll show like the front page of the post, like every time something happens with the two of them, mm-hmm. like how it's framed mm-hmm. in the media. Right. Um, oh, also at the end when they get married, because that's how it ends, is um, Charlie and uh, Yvonne get married. They ascend into the heavens from Central Park in a hot air balloon, dropping all the envelopes beneath them of the people that sent them the money so they could be together and live in like a modicum of wealth. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Okay, I found it, Frank. Um, so it ended up getting Murdoch bought it in 76, and it, something ends up happening where it changes hands and he buys it again in 93. Hmm. And reverts it back to like kind of like the, you know, um, the bullshit. Uh, so it's like right before this. So I, yeah, it's got to be some sort of product placement. Well, when did he? Um, when did he own Fox? Oh, then. So the guy that was the head of Columbia TriStar at the time was apparently a former Fox executive. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too. Maybe there was some connection there. Yep. Yep. That's it. Man, all yep. this fucking. 
amateur sleuthing is mm-hmm. really paid off. Right, I know. <laughs> we bro- we broke the code. <laughs> right, why is the post featured in a fucking movie set in New York City? But why is the post? Why isn't it like there's maybe because so many- it's in Queens? Like that's another thing too. Is I think those papers are more um, what's it called? Uh, like geologic, not geologically, like geographically centric to certain areas of the city. Mm. I think I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Because I think like the Post and the Daily News are the two that are kind of like similar, and one is for more maybe like uptown. I I don't. I don't well, yeah. Right, yeah. We need somebody from New York to um, tell us this. But it's like the Times is like the paper of of note, right? The paper of record. Right. And the Post and the Daily News are the ones that were more about, like, you learning about, like, the neighborhood and whatever. Like, the smaller stories in the city. So maybe that's part of it, too. Right. Yeah. I can't, yeah. Fucking crazy... Pod, podcast sidejack. Um, <laughs> this is what the post does, though. You know, I mean, I'll take it up with Rupert Murdoch in hell. It hijacks everything or heaven, wherever he may be. All right, so there, there, and, there. I had a bunch of more questions, but like, so, so, so basically, this is just um, this uh, uh, kind of carefully plotted Primrose path towards how great um, of a person Charlie is, right? Right, so that's actually actually one of the downfalls of the movie is that I mean, I guess you could consider the fact that technically at some point they're both cheating on their spouses but they make their spouses in such like cartoon villains in some ways that it's like there's nothing negative or bad or even like kind of human in like the broadest scale about Charlie and Yvonne like they're almost I mean and she says it several times that it's like a fairy tale but that's kind of what it is you know they Mm -hmm. they sort of treat it like that and they treat them I don't and it's it it's a completely inoffensive movie it's one of those things where you've seen it and you've seen something similar to it, like, so many times, you know, it, you can watch it with, like, anybody, and you're not going to be necessarily, like, embarrassed, or, <coughs> you know, like, I think, like, pretty much anybody can enjoy it, just as kind of, like, mindless entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't know. The it's guy- almost the kind of movie that doesn't exist anymore, because there would be some... I don't know, there would be something else in this movie if it was made now to add, like, a different element of risk or intrigue with it, and there's just never any. Like, there's never oh, any. Oh, right, they would, they, would add some, they would add something in from him being a police officer where he was working a case, like, like, like a string of, like, robberies or something like that, and something happened where, like, one of the robbers... Um, uh, like, was like on to the cop on being on to him, and like they would put like the Yvonne character at risk or something like that. Sure, but like that never happens. It's just, it's just whatever. I think I just described the Jimmy Fallon movie from like the early two thousands, probably. 
But it's like, again, it's it's fine, you know? It's weird that he's in it because it doesn't really feel like something that he would necessarily gravitate towards at this part in his career. Because um, this is moving towards, like, his very... I don't even yeah. know how you would call it. Like, I, I think one of the things... Ascent? That, I mean, it's a ascent to Hollywood stardom. I mean... Um, Bergman, or whatever, the director of the movie, mm-hmm. also directed Honeymoon in Vegas. Right. So, it's entirely possible right. that this is, like, maybe a favor from Cage to him, or <coughs> maybe he just liked him a lot for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, I noticed that. He said, okay, like, yeah, like, I'll I'll go ahead and make your movie with you. Because um, he makes it two years later. Right. And in between, he's made, you know, Red Rock, Red Rock West. But he also made Guarding Test the same year and Trapped in Paradise. So it's not like, again, he's... Maybe before he found his calling as this quirky indie actor, he was thinking, like, well, I can go mainstream. And just do these romantic comedies and yeah, because the production companies are like you know completely different and stuff like that and like so it yeah it had to be him like Bergman that kind of pulls him along in some way yeah um, Bergman's interesting though when I was looking at him like I mean not the greatest things in the world but he he apparently wrote Blazing like part of Blazing Saddles like he's credited with a screenplay um, yeah. He was active for a really long time. Like I had no idea who he was until I right. And then it's like after watching this, he wrote "Oh God, You <laughs> Devil," Fletch. Um, yeah. Then wrote and directed "The Freshman." Wrote "Soap Dish," um, and then yeah, directed "Honeymoon in Vegas," this and striptease, um, and wrote striptease um, from the highest novel. So yeah, I mean, you ever, ever want to talk about? Um... Here's an uh, interesting podcast topic is hmm. straight comedies that Frank actually enjoys. Okay. Because Soap Dish is on that list. Hmm. I love Soap Dish. I think Soap Dish is a really clever movie. Comedies. I don't know what else is on that list, but Soap Dish is there. I'm writing it down. Um, we never do enough things about comedies um <clears throat> what about striptease striptease on that list oh my god no <laughs> it, watching striptease in the theater is one of my that, have, have, we ever, have we ever talked about this experience i don't think we've ever talked about striptease uh, other, other than maybe like some how getting mentioned you going to uh so, i also watch striptease in the theater too so we had this idea that even though the trailers for striptease look terrible Mm-hmm. that maybe it could be pretty cool because Burt Reynolds was in it. Right. And I like Demi Moore. And mm-hmm. we thought, like, you know, maybe this will be one of those, like, weird comedies that just catches you off guard and actually does some, like, you know, kind of, like, risque, but also, like, sort of Burt inventive Reynolds, things. Right. And Burt Reynolds is a big draw, like, in this role because there's a lot of hype about him. I don't know if you remember, like, things like Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that, like, the, like because, you know, Travolta had become, during that time, like, this big, like, oh, the comeback. Um, right. And, and you they were from, what's it called, um, Boogie Nights. I think that's after this, isn't it? Um, after Striptease? Yeah, I think, like, Boogie Nights is 97, I think. Um, I think. I don't know. I'm not look. I haven't looked it up, but um, I'm pretty sure. I don't know why I would have cared about Burt Reynolds anyway. 
Right, but I, I'm telling you, people were hyping up strip teases like, you know, oh, like this is like Reynolds, like doing something completely different, and um, you know, it's going to be his comeback or whatever, and um, yeah. So uh, that was a big draw during this time, um, and then the what twenty million dollar paycheck for more was also big in terms of publicity before this. But sorry, the idea of seeing Demi Moore naked because she was like, well, yeah, that was the biggest draw of the whole. Thing. One of the big, you know, yeah. That's, yeah, why they, that's why they paid her twenty million dollars, right? She got topless. Right? Uh, so what's this experience? Oh, so we went to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in so in People's Plaza, Regal Cinemas on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. The big auditorium at the time was Theater 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie, I guess they had it on multiple screens, but we saw it in Theater 11, which was the, it was like a medium-sized theater. So yeah, was maybe. This a, was this opening night? It was the opening Saturday. Opening Saturday. Okay, never mind. So it was a Saturday matinee. So this is, mm-hmm. I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, right? Gotcha. Fucking packed like sold out yeah. theater for this goddamn yeah. movie. I saw of, it in the, I saw it in the big theater that you were just talking about, but yeah. Of just dudes. Mm-hmm. Like all these dudes. So it was me mm-hmm. and two other guys like went to see it. Right. I, wonder, I, yeah, I, I, guess I anyway. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Bledsoe or Dixon that I saw this with, but um Bledsoe would probably remember. And this is before the renovation. So you're talking like this dank sweaty concrete box right. filled with like men that were there to do nothing but see Demi Moore naked. Right. And right. just one of the most like soul crushing like just thinking like what am I doing sitting here? Right. Like, why am I watching this movie? Right. And having it be like a piece of shit because Striptease is not a good movie. No. Um, Made it even worse. So we, <laughs> when the movie was over we went out the emergency exit and just like walked around the building mm-hmm. because none of us could bear the idea of like having to walk out with everybody else uh-huh. through the uh-huh. lobby from being like the guys that saw strip tees. Sure. So. Yeah. Where'd you go to eat afterwards? Mm. You remember? I know that you wanted to go eat afterwards. Like that was the uh, back then, right? In 96? Yeah. Uh... No, oh, no, you would have been like what, like nineteen? Yeah, maybe not. I probably didn't have enough money to go eat. Um, Burger King, I guess. Oh, all right, yeah. I mean the the places, the the choicest places back then were, you went to Bennigan's up mm-hmm. in New York, Monte Cristo, yeah. You went to Chi-Chi's up in Christiana, um, and then you would go to Borders at the same time. You go to go. Up Eat a Chi-Chi's, go to Borders, buy some books, buy some CDs. Um, I can't think where else was like th- really. You know what? I think Bennigan's might have been the first time you and I ever went out, just the two of us, and got something to eat together. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, we 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 ended up having to sit in those um the ones behind the bar where it's like the big step up. Do you remember that? Uh uh-huh. I do uh-huh. remember that. Yeah. yeah, I got um. I got fish and chips, I think. Hmm. Or the surf and turf platter is what they called fish and chips. I think that might be right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I probably like, got the, um, I, I'm pretty sure I got the money crystal. 
yeah, I probably didn't want to die even then. I've had several opportunities um, since the mid nineties to get a Monte Cristo and I've always turned it down because I just like the idea of like that much. Right. Fried bread, like going into my body. Sure. Even though, even though I'll eat French toast once in a while and it's not like super different. It's like, I don't put ham and cheese on my French toast, you know? Right. And I dip it in jelly. Yeah. Oh man, that jelly they used to give you at Bennigan's though. That shit was the truth. Yeah. That fucking like little cup of raspberry mm-hmm. jam. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. It was. The cu- the cup could have been a little bit bigger. It, it sometimes it made it difficult, but you know Bennigan's like was my first date spot forever. Really? Hmm. Like when I would start dating somebody, I would always take them to Bennigan's as our first date. It's a good move. Because and here was the thing, right? Like, this is gonna sound real shitty, but <laughs> You go to Bennigan's, and Bennigan's had... Bennigan's was like Applebee's before Applebee's existed. So it had, like, the widest variety of all different kinds of food. The Mm -hmm. price points, like, you could get anything at Bennigan's. Right. So you would go, and you would tell them, like, hey, you know, get whatever you want. But then you would see what they ordered. So if they ordered something that was, like, reasonable, you know, like, in the, like, $8 to $12 range, like, okay, cool, like, you know, this girl's down, this lady's down to earth, like, she's not, like, materialistic. Sure. But, man, they start ordering, she, she, like... She, she's not a muriel, right. Right. They start ordering, like, $25 dishes, like the surf and turf, it's like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. God, I used to love Bennigan's. We used to eat at Bennigan's all the time. I've yeah. eaten at Bennigan's so many times with so many different people that I can't believe Bennigan's doesn't exist. Like, it's crazy that that place... Yeah, so f- for those that have no idea, and I don't know why anybody would, like Frank is famous for his date spots um, his, and secret date spots um, <clears throat> that he has. So I'm not asking you for secrets, but uh, do you still have secret date spots like in your back pocket right now? Dude, I'm going no dates. I mean, I guess I would take a mistake in Maine. Right. Like just because I would want to eat really good food and the price doesn't matter anymore. So. Right. Um, I known as was the best date spot. Yeah, Frank. Frank had there's there was a secret date spot that Frank had back uh, what like 10, <laughs> 10 years ago that he that he had a little to, yeah a little more than that probably. we we had to yeah a little bit more than that I guess. No, um, I, I had I had known as in like two thousand three. I'm just gonna let you know. So you had it for like set like probably seven years. Um, no, before I told you about it, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it was like a disaster of a night, like where we decided to go to what Red Lobster, I think, and it was like a fucking yeah. like close to like hour and fifteen minute wait, and um, Frank had to give up one of the secret date spots around the corner, um, I, which is I the remember, most the most like, fan- fantastic fucking Italian food I've ever had in my life. We were sitting there, and I like we were standing outside of Red Lobster talking, me, you, and Chuck. And it was like, what well, do you want to go somewhere else? And everybody was like, oh, I don't know. Like, two or two so far away. And I went, uh, well, there is a place around the corner we could go to that's pretty good. Yeah. And then um, got to introduce you guys to the the glory of Nona's. Fucking that lobster ravioli the first time I ever had is one of the best meals I ever had in my life. I Seriously, it's, it's some of the most, like, I, I think it's better than Steak and Maine. Like, and I love Steak and Maine's food. And Steak and Maine, for those of you that don't live in this area, is this really small little restaurant in the town of Northeast that's been on the Food Network, and it's really famous for its food because it really is, like, top-notch. Like, their food is amazing there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but Nona's just like I like their veal piccata, man. Oh my god, that's some of the best food I've ever eaten. They used to have a what was it? it was a sea bass, like a pan seared sea bass on a bed of yes, asparagus risotto, and yeah. yeah. Like one of the most perfectly prepared risottos I've ever had. Maybe the best risotto I've ever had in my life. And just like this flaky, delicious, tender sea bass. And oh my God, I used so, to love that place. So does Charlie eat in this movie? Like uh, what does what, what, what he eating besides? Well, I, I understand that the diner, he's eating diner food, right? But it's like they go out to dinner sometimes, right? Well... They're at dinner when they get left off the boat, but I don't remember what they eat. Mm. He eats Jiffy Pop one time. Mm. Hmm. Um, huh. I don't know. I don't really have an answer to that. See, these are the I, kind I, of things I, that like, only when I start drinking do I think about. It's like, I should pay attention more to what people eat in movies. <clears throat> I, I feel like there's some kind of subplot where Muriel gives him shit because he just likes hot dogs or something, but I might be making that up. <laughs> I mean, that, that fits, though, right? Um, Listen, let me tell you something, and I am a huge fan of Rosie Perez. Like, I really love Rosie Perez a lot, mm-hmm. both because I think Rosie Perez is a gorgeous woman and because I, I like her performances most of the time. There is There are a few characters in modern cinema that are as loathsome as Muriel. Like, it's almost an impossibility that this character, that, that somebody wrote this character and thought it was a good idea. And the only reason she exists is just as like a dark mirror to show you how like pure Yvonne is. Right. I mean, seriously, she when I when I say that she's a cartoon villain, she's legitimately like a mustache twirling you know, like what's his name? Um, the dude from Wacky Races, uh, with Mutley. Fuck, I can't remember his name. The bad guy that like you know twirls his mustache and has the monocle, Snively Whiplash. No, oh, like that's basically right. her. Like everything is just like, oh, I'm gonna ruin your life, there, Charlie. You should have treated me better. You should have paid for all the things I wanted, Charlie. <laughs> And then Charlie's just like, I just want love. I just want to love the woman I love. And you can have all my money. No, that's not enough. I want her money too. Well, I so the next year after this, the the screenwriter also wrote How to Make an American Quilt. And I, I did see that like on video. Um and I don't remember that being like necessarily um subtle or um nuanced either. So maybe this screenwriter just doesn't have a lot of nuance to him. So do you want to know what movie I used to confuse this movie with all the time? No. And even up to okay. when I was watching this movie this time, and I think I think part of it might be Rosie Perez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, excuse me. Bless you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I shouldn't have opened the floodgates. Bless you. Then. Yeah, it's powerful. <laughs> it's my allergies, man. They're terrible. Um, fucking Untamed Heart. Is that was that Frankie's first appearance on the podcast by laughing. It might be. <laughs> that's my that's my my son's playing a video game and I said 
Bless uh, There we go. From my sneezes. There's words. Um, I always get this confused with the uh, Untamed Heart. I think because of the whole thing with like the waitress and what what is that? What is that movie, Frank? Oh man, Untamed Heart. Christian I'm, Slater, Marissa Tomei, Rosie Perez. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Marissa, right. Yes. Okay. Where he thinks that he has um. Uh, the heart of like a baboon, like a baboon king. Do you, do you, do you remember this movie at all? I don't. I don't. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm I'm looking it up now, and the first thing that drew my eye was um a remix version of Suzanne Vega's Tom's Diner opens the movie. Yeah. So here's the thing, like. He basically like it's one of the most depressing movies ever because they fall in love and then he just fucking dies. Hmm. And that's it. Like that's the movie. Like Christian Slater and his goddamn baboon heart dies. The the film it was is, the, the film was originally titled The Baboon Heart. <laughs> that's no joke. That's Yeah, because it's something that like his mom or something told him mm-hmm. when he was a kid. Um or no, it was a nun yeah. in the orphanage told him yeah. that he his heart was like the heart from a baboon king, and that he feels like if he gets a transplant, which is what he needs to live, that he's gonna like change and not be the same person anymore. Well, he, apparently, like, it's it's in it says it's in honor of an infant named Baby Faye from '84 who received a cross species heart transplant from a bab- baboon to fix a congenital heart to like thing. Anyway, so I used to really love that movie in the early '90s. Like that was a secret, um, secret like guilty pleasure movie of mine. Mm-hmm. But man, is it depressing? Like the dude just dies at the end. Yeah, I, I never, I, I know, I remember this movie coming out and stuff like that. I, I never seen this movie. It's actually, I'm because look, I, I like Marissa Tomei. I like again Rosie Perez. I'm a big fan of. <clears throat> I like Christian Slater like here and there i think that he fits certain roles well and he's fine in this movie and it's it's not that i'll ever make a podcast list but if you ever get the chance to watch on tape hard and you've never seen it like it's a better wacky romantic comedy than it could happen to you right I mean, it could happen to you. It's completely disposable. Like, there's nothing about it. I'm, I'm on Wikipedia right now. Re- Ebert wrote, kind of sweet and kind of goofy and works because its heart is in the right place. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> it's baboon heart. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, 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 it's a Vincent, dumb. Vincent Candy says the film is... To the mind of what freshly discarded chewing gum is to the sole of a shoe, an irritant that slows movement without any real danger of stopping it. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even understand. I don't think what that means. Probably, probably not wrong though. <laughs> Owen Gleiberman, our one of our the friends of our podcast, um, gave it a B minus. Yeah, that's about right. And praise Tomei's performance. Her <laughs> with her flashing dark eyes and Jesus Christ. 
and overbite. Tomei is adorable. She looks like a flirtatious bunny rabbit. What's astonishing is the range of expression that passes over those delectable features. Fucking thirsty ass Owen Gleiberman in Christ. 1990. Yeah, what is what is that guy doing? Review like you you can write that shit today. <laughs> yeah, if you remember, there was like a fucking <clears throat> uh, the, on the main podcast. There was like a some shit I read of his like probably like a year ago where he was just as fucking thirsty. Like uh, Gleiberman in the 90s was a was a horny motherfucker. One of my um one of my favorite subreddits to just like browse once a day and see what's on it is um men men writing women where mm. it's basically like dudes like trying to describe women or how women think mm-hmm. with like the most like it's always about like their heaving breasts or their right you know how they're thinking about their breasts or it's like that's it's 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 Owen Lieberman right writing like all of it right. Yeah, for delectable features. Yeah, and this dude writes for a variety now. God, fun. I mean, like that's embarrassing for a professional journalist. Yes, I mean the the, the phrase. Look, I I can't imagine this phrase appears anywhere else in the English language. Flirtatious bunny rabbit. Ugh. On certain parts of the internet, I'm sure that that's not true. <laughs> true. <laughs> what is it? Rule 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 forty two or whatever, right? Uh, thirty four. I can't remember what it is now. I have whatever been on... it is. If pornography can be made of something, it will right, be made right, of yeah, right. All right. Yeah, I think I, I... <laughs> okay. So let's finally wrap this up. Um, after all this meandering, uh, what is the score of the movie and the score of the cage performance? Um, it's all a five. It's a five across the board. Like there seriously is nothing to hate about this movie Mm -hmm. there's nothing to really love about this movie and look i except for rosie perez rosie perez well no but you can't like that's the problem it's one of the few rosie perez performances where there's like nothing to recommend that's why i'm sorry i was going back to the hate part like that that's that's hateable i i i am a big fan of early 90s bridget fonda um right Bridget Fonda and Singles is one of my first like big like pubescent crushes in my life. Somebody where I was like, that's the perfect woman. So it was nice to see, you know, early 90s Bridget Fonda here. There's nothing about it that I hated. I didn't particularly laugh at anything, but I didn't get annoyed or think like, when is this goddamn movie going to be over? Which happens so many times. Um, but it really, it's it, it's a relic of a time that doesn't exist anymore. Where you would have like a dozen of these kind of movies a year, and you would know them and you would see them, and they would be like mildly entertaining, and there would be, you know, dozens of like great character actors in them, and then you just kind of never think about it again. So, so, okay. Last thing here. What do you think? Oh, you'd have to pull it up, and that might take a bit. What do you think my first Bridget Fonda movie that I've ever seen is? Like, in my life. Like, what was the first? It's the game. Um...
Is it Drop Dead Fred? Nope. That's uncredited, so no. Is it Doc Hollywood? It is. It's Doc Hollywood, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doc Hollywood. I saw Doc Hollywood in the theater. Um, I don't... What's what's the second movie that I saw? That might even be harder. That's probably harder. I don't even know if I know the answer to this. Hold on a second. Um... Is it pointed to return? No. Is it single white female? Nope. Army of Darkness? Mm, it's well, yeah, it's on credit. Yeah, so I wouldn't even noticed. Um, I don't. The think Road to Wellville. Nope. That feels like something you would watch. <laughs> um, Little Buddha. Nope. You, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're. I don't think you're going to get it. Is it Godfather Part Three? See, that's a possibility, but I don't think that's true. I, I think actually it's Bodies Rest in Motion, mm. and then The Godfather Three. I, I mean, think. Godfather Three is my answer. So the the, the Godfather Three was, and I've mentioned this multiple times. So, but it's like when I had that surgery and I was like laid up for like a month, and my mom running me videos every day. That's when I watched all the Godfathers, and that was ninety. No, that was ninety three. So it was probably Godfather three. You're right, and then Bodies Rest in Motion in ninety four. Um, is my third probably Bridget Fonda. Have you seen Bodies Rest in Motion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's forgettable. I haven't. I, I don't remember like what happened in it necessarily. Um, I rented it because I was by ninety four. Um, you know. I'd watch Pulp Fiction. I thought that I fucking understood independent film and running everything. So, but yeah, um, it's not. It's whatever. it's definitely got like the ultimate hipster early nineties cast, right? Yes. Eric Stoltz, Tim Roth, Bridget Fonda, Phoebe Cates. Yes, right, absolutely. Um, a young Alicia Alicia Witt. You know, I mean, yeah. Oh. Uh, Oh, Peter Fonda shows up in it as a motorcycle rider, too. Fucking awesome. You know that Bridget Fonda hasn't been in a theatrical movie since 2001? I know. I just looked at that, and it's like, and it's like I looked, and then I, like, scrolled back up real quick. It's like personal life, and it's like, I see in 03, she, like, fractured a vertebrae. Um, but it's like, I see nothing about, like, why she just stopped acting. I mean, I I really like Bridget Fonda. I do too. <clears throat> I mean, I think she's great in that small role in um, like fantastic in that small role in Jackie Brown. Yeah, like really good in there. She's really good she's in the simple plan. simple plan, right? Uh huh. Um, I don't know some of these. I don't remember Road to Wellville. I don't think it's a very good movie. Road to Wellville was one of those ones that was hyped up in um, Entertainment Weekly as well, and then ended up. Not being good. Um, I really like Anthony Hopkins overacting, but she's great in Point of No Return. The the feminine. Yeah. I have not seen um, Lake Placid, even though Amazon continuously tries to get me to watch that motherfucker oh, like should, week after week. Lake Placid. Really? Oh yeah. Lake Placid is a fun movie. I mean, if you're okay with like, um, Lake, Lake Placid is the reason that Betty White. Is like a meme on like a hundred percent. 
Jesus, after reading this like Eper quote here, I'm completely wrong headed from beginning to end. I almost want to watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> we know Ebert hates uh hates him some horror movies. Look, oh, is it a horror movie? movie? Oh yeah. Well, I mean it's a horror comedy, I would call it. Mm. But it's mostly hard. David E. Kelly wrote it, Stephen Miner directed it. It's got Pullman, Fonda, Oliver Platt, Bridget Glee. Brendan Gleeson, Betty White. It's Betty White is like the super foul mouth, like old lady mm. who lives on the lake. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll watch it. What is it? What is it? it fucking, it's it's eighty two minutes, dude. It's like it's less, perfect, Chris. Like it's, it's it's less than perfect, Chris. Like yeah, I mean, I mean that will be over before you can even get up and make a second drink. A third. Let's drink. Let's, let's not go crazy here. Come on. <laughs> Depends on how close the bottle is. <sighs> All right. Anything else? No. Um, let me tell you that I'm... We're done 1994, just by the way. I'm super nervous about the upcoming, like, 12 weeks or so because... <sighs> I don't want to watch a lot of these movies. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. And I'm looking forward to doing the first watch with you so you can watch the score to settle. Oh right, that's um, like that's the week of your off, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So that'll June. be two weeks. Okay. So I got to find something to do next week, and I don't know. Like I, 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 I came upon this, and I was like, you know what? Like this is elite offensive, and it's short, so I can I can right. handle that. But, buddy, like I don't know. I mean, I got fucking like Men of Courage, USS Indianapolis, fucking World Trade Center. Uh, hmm. Like there's Snow- so Snowden, 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 and they're all like seventy five minutes, seventy five million hours long. Right? Yeah, no, they're all. Um, yeah, you you've uh, put yourself into a corner here, man. Like, <sighs> like you have all of his eighty four movies, which is the Cotton Club, Racing with the Moon, and Birdie to still go. You have the Boy in Blue, which I have no idea what that movie is, but I'm so fucking fascinated to find out. Um. Because I'm actually going to have fun, I've realized, by the end of this. You have Time to Kill. I still don't know what's going on there. Firebirds, which I've been trying to subtly get you to watch for I don't know how long by referencing constantly. Um, because I like I... helicopter movies, so. <laughs> it's a helicopter movie, right? It is. Yeah. Well, it has helicopters on the cover. That doesn't mean there's like many helicopters in the movie. You never know, right? But there um, might be. It might be. And then Honeymoon in Vegas, and then Amos and Andrew. I'm so excited about that one. And then Deadfall. Yeah. City of Angels. Jesus, oh, you really had fucked yourself. I... Family Man, which you're, you were saving for the holidays, except for we're not going to get to the holidays. Because yeah, we'll do October. Christmas in July or something. Fucking, then you got Gone in 60 You haven't done Gone in 60 Seconds? I never want to watch that movie again. I am so <laughs> but disgusted his, his, that I have to watch but that But his name in it is Randall Memphis Reigns. Like, I know what it is. Um, well, then you have, like, you're right, the one episode where we're going to do all the cartoons, you know, and then you have, um, uh, you know, fucking Sergeant, like, you know, Fratelli's, like, you know, Oboe, like, um... Uh, so you're, you're getting ridiculous. Um... 
The sad thing is I have to watch that movie again because it's been so long. Right. Yeah, that was one of the first ones you watched. You still haven't done National Treasure Book of Secrets. Um, I know. I don't want to watch that either. <laughs> uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, another uh, uh, Turtle it's Call movie. movie or whatever. Um, Rage. Rage is so boring. And then USS Indianapolis, then Snowden, then the Army of One, the Larry Let me Charles tell you something. Movie. We could do we could do Rage right now. I could do it in like six minutes, and it would just be done. Nope. Like Rage is going to be the worst podcast because it's just such a bad movie. And maybe but Rage not, is also another first watch. It's it's not bad in a fun way, huh. and it's not bad in like an angersome way. It's just what are we doing? Nothing... A, score, a score to settle? That's what we're doing as the first watch. Yeah, I'm making you watch that shit. Okay, all right. I'm going to educate you to this reality. Score to settle seems appropriate for um, a first watch. It, it's bad. It's it's legit payback for everything I've had to endure over the past year plus is you having to watch a score to settle. Right. <clears throat> no, I still, even though I read it, Spread all those. It still doesn't feel like a lot. Although somehow it still takes us to October. I don't know. <sighs> all right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I'm going to go watch Lake Placid. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Thank you for right. listening, everybody. Bye.